Well, Joanne, we are privileged today to have a special guest with us. And and our podcast is called Good News from the Middle East. Is there good news in the Middle East? In Not the... when you watch the news, that's for sure. But, you know, the Lord is always on the move and he tells the true story. The Lord Jesus does. And so today we're going to get to hear an exciting story from a good friend of ours. Um, so, Tom, you want to tell us more yeah, about who and our guest is? Part of the good news is the dedicated followers of Jesus who are willing to risk their lives and serve in difficult situations. And uh, this gentleman did in Afghanistan. Uh, Dilip Joseph is the program director for a nonprofit in Central Asia. He is a doctor, he specializes in healthcare, and he's written a book because he was kidnapped by the mm -hmm. Taliban. Mm -hmm. And I had a chance to read it a while back, but Joanne, you're just getting familiar with it. You were with the six kids doing things I back know, then. Right, <laughs> Tell right. me what your impression is as you read it. Well, I have to tell you, you guys will have to read this book. Um, wow, I cannot put it down. In fact, last night I was reading it in bed, I think till after 11 o'clock. So I had a hard time getting up this morning, but the book is, it's like you're there on the front line right. with our dear friend, um, living this journey with him. It, it, you've got to pick it up. You know, we all hear the word Taliban and it shakes us to our bones, especially with what we've seen on the news recently. So this will give you a, a front row seat of what kidnapping by the Taliban can be like. That's right. So we'll bring him in. Dilip Joseph, please come in. We're honored to have you as a guest. And we're going to talk about your experience and your book, Kidnapped by the Taliban. Great to have you with us. Uh, Tom and Joanne, so thank you so much for this uh, opportunity. It is so good to yeah, spend this hour with you guys. Thank you. Well, as we start, how did, how did you how did you get to Afghanistan? How did all of that happen? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a very sort of a deep question. Uh, but the way things work out for us, you know, as as Christ followers, it's always interesting, isn't it? And from our perspective versus from God's perspective, I, I had the privilege of growing up in a very missional home. And um, I always wanted to look into medical missions. Um, and that that decision was taken early on in life. And I just didn't know how that was going to work out and the details of how that was going to work out. And um, while I was in medical school is when um, Afghanistan as a nation was going through some of its darkest times. Mm. Um, I would say Taliban, the way I put it now, Taliban 1.0, mm. when the world did not have much of an opportunity to really have a lens into the nation. Uh, that's not the case now, although the ideology of the Taliban, I would say, has not changed. I would really say the methodology in which they go about their day-to-day -day, uh, governance has changed a little bit. and and. Um, so much of that is due to uh, how the world is working now, right? Everybody is under a, a microscope, so to speak. Uh, we got social media in, in the utmost uh, corners of the world. Um, we know instantly what's happening. So I got the opportunity to go into Afghanistan, perhaps um, a little later than you guys made your first visit, um, towards the end of the first decade of 21st century mm -hmm. in 2009. And um, it was just uh, as a result of having a conversation with um, the founder of um, uh, the NGO that I got to be part of um, at that time. And we just had a really neat um, conversation. And he made me just um, think about uh, what it might be to take a look into Afghanistan. And, and uh, as you alluded to, Joanne, there's so much more to the world than what we hear 
mm-hmm. um, in our news, right? So, um, and we have to be keen observers of that, of that fact. So I kind of got hooked the moment I stepped in. And um, mm-hmm. I, in, in some ways I haven't left, although I'm mm-hmm. not going into Afghanistan. I have so many friends that I keep in touch with and, and I'm involved with Afghans in different parts of the world. Mm. Well, and you know, the in August with the collapse of Afghanistan, all of those memories for you had to rush back and immediately you're the expert again and people asking you questions in that. But we found for a lot of Americans, Dilip, uh, Afghanistan is like another planet. They just have no idea. It's almost like this hidden nation. And so I wanted Joanne to pull some stats in there from your book, which are excellent to just get the viewers kind of up to speed on what it's like in Afghanistan. Yeah, and and you're right, Dilip. Um, when Tom and I went into Afghanistan, and I was only fortunate to go there one time, but it left a forever mark on my heart and in my memory. The people are just precious. I fell in love with the women. They are so dear. There's so many needs there, as you know. But the people are so kind, so genuine, so loving. Um, but life is really difficult for the average person in Afghanistan. And, and in your book, you talk about some of the stats. And you said that your research showed you that Afghanistan is about the same size as Texas, which is where Tom and I live. Um, but that's where the similarities end, you stay. And you talk about how the population um, is 28 million souls. And 99% of those people are Muslim. And so they need the knowledge of who Jesus is, um, not just as, um, as prophet, but as savior. Two thirds of the population are illiterate. And that is just heartbreaking. Yeah. Well, you know, without education, um, people cannot better their life station, of course. Um, so two thirds of the population are illiterate. And the average lifespan, this just breaks my heart, is 43 years of age. I don't know how, if that um, stat is still current, but that's heartbreaking. Um, and then more more than a tenth of the nation's children don't even reach the age of five years old. Mm-hmm. And then to offset that, you say that um, many Afghans turn to cultivating the poppy fields because the country's so poor and it's the foremost product- producer of opium, which of course um, is the key ingredient for heroin. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of darkness in this country. So I can see how the Lord would use you in a powerful way um, medically, in addition to just helping these people have hope, to find hope. And, and I remember, Dilip, just jumping in off what Joanne said, we were there and uh, we met a woman and someone said, just take a guess how old she is. And I seriously thought 75, maybe she like mm-hmm. 75, 44 years old, 44 yeah. years old, just so the extreme yeah. conditions there, the, the weathered look, mm-hmm. God bless her. And um, it was just hard to to see that with that short lifespan. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what you mentioned about the life expectancy, um, uh, having come across those stats, and then I would travel to some of the rural areas, and then I would find these older um, generation. You know, and 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 as you can imagine, in their culture. Older people are revered so much mm-hmm. uh, because they have so much knowledge, and especially in a oral culture like Afghanistan. So when you see them, you realize that it is due to younger people not having access to basic primary health care, mm-hmm. um, access to something that they could really benefit from just basic health education. 
that as the younger people in that you know uh, population curve die early, then you have the skewed um, stats of of people uh, on the average being much less in life expectancy. Mm -hmm. But um, it's nice to see there there are still um, quite older, you know, seventies and eighties uh, people still uh, living and and providing knowledge and wisdom mm -hmm. uh, to the younger folks. Uh, but it's a sad state of affairs where um, I think there's something to be said about the culture, especially in the Islamic culture, where you're not um, encouraged to ask questions. Mm -hmm. So you never right. go deeper right. into the values and virtues of life because you are told certain things and you just get stuck there in that limited understanding. Right. And so that that's a that's a really sad aspect of that culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and especially if the people are illiterate, they can't read anything from the outside world to understand that that there's more than what they're seeing, just what their eyes can see, their hands can touch. Well, as a physician, um, Delop, for you going into that society for the very first time, what was struck in your heart? Mm. What what was the, some of the very first thoughts that you had of coming into this country that's completely different than what you've known in the past? Yeah, I remember my first trip in March of 2009, um, almost as if it was yesterday. You know, I just, uh, I was very touched by, very similar to what you already said, Joanne, about how loving and caring and genuine uh, the people uh, of Afghanistan are. And um, that really uh, uh, gripped uh, me very much. And um, I, I, you know, right away wanted to, have some role or some part uh, in this journey that that I felt uh, a genuine and a meaningful journey that this uh, um, nonprofit was already a part of. Um, so um, as I started going into some of the rural areas and seeing the dire nature of lack of what we would consider to be basic uh, healthcare infrastructure, I thought, you know, I might have a good role to play here, especially within public health education. It doesn't have to be something very complicated. It doesn't have to be huge um, hospitals being built. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but even providing basic balanced um, outlook on how to approach health is something that I got, got into right away and uh, mm. something that I was really enjoying as part of my many trips into Afghanistan. That's mm, wonderful. So uh, being from India, that was an advantage for you in <laughs> Afghanistan. Can you tell yes. our listeners about that? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, being a brown man in a very sort of brown culture, you know, I mean, that entire region is very much uh, the Caucasus or the Caucasian race. Uh, but being from India gives you that advantage of being able to just sort of, um, you know, fly under the radar, so to speak. Um, my disadvantage was the moment I opened my mouth and then realized <laughs> that I couldn't speak the local tongue, then I was in trouble, so to speak. You know, I, I've been to so many of these rural areas where my uh, medical colleague or our driver or someone who who we are with would just tell me to keep quiet and not open Don't my open mouth, mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be tire. fine, <laughs> especially if we go through a checkpoint or something, you know, because yes. the assumption is that I could be from somewhere from there. So, and, yeah. and that worked out really well. 
Yeah, especially if you're dressed in the you know traditional dress, you completely blend in with everyone around you exactly. until you open your yeah. mouth. Mm. Yes, exactly. And I enjoyed that very much. Yeah, that's kind of a great advantage. Okay, so would you mind sharing with us, with our listeners, a few of your highlights from your time in Afghanistan? And how long were you there? How long did you work? So I really went in and out. During the four years I was able to, from 2000, early 2009 and very late 2012, those four years, uh, then um, encompassed maybe 10 mm -hmm. uh, trips in total. And I was able to travel into about 12 different provinces Wow! Uh, out of the 34 provinces. And some of them had to do with um, various health assessments um, or um, meeting up with one of the, the local projects or uh, people running the projects. And um, my trips would really be anywhere between two to three weeks uh, long. And um, um, as an organization, we were developing various uh, healthcare projects. Uh, so at one point, we were getting up to about nine different projects, six or seven different mm -hmm. clinics happening in various parts of the uh, country. And we had enough things going on that that kept uh, within the health arena kept us busy. Mm -hmm. So yes, I was I was thoroughly enjoying a lot of that. I would say the biggest highlight um, highlights in any of these trips were just uh, sitting with the locals, especially mm -hmm. in rural areas, and conversing with them. I have some wonderful stories out of all those various trips where um, I think God just meets you and and greets you in a way that you did not expect and teaches you something uh, genuinely powerful. And you're just uh, humbled by that mm. um, opportunity to learn something new about God as mm. a result of these conversations. Mm. And those are the conversations, as you said, that stay with you your whole life, don't right. they? It's a transformational moment, a divine, holy moment <clears throat> that God does something that changes you. Uh, wow. So just in and out for those four years, um, multiple times, and yet you have this scary situation that happens on one of those trips. Are you ready to segue yeah, into that? Or you want and any you know what? Yeah, Dilip, I was just thinking about this. People mm -hmm. often ask us, we travel around Middle East, Central Asia, do you feel fear? Uh, are you, are you ever just paralyzed with, 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 uh, fear and dread and, we're not. We, we we know that is one hundred percent from the Lord. We're not we're not brave people, but we believe in this. What God calls you to, He equips you for. Okay. But the one time that I felt very nervous and frightened was the time that Joanne went off into an area with uh, another lady to help some of the mm -hmm. Afghans learn to read, and they went through a Taliban area. We were told ahead of time that this would be. This was the possibility of what could happen. And so it was the night before they invited Joanne to go and I could not sleep the whole night. Neither one of us I mean, could. We really couldn't. I just feared for her. And uh, I just, you can imagine all the scenes I'm thinking about and what, what could happen. Oh my gosh, is my wife going to be someone's fourth wife, you know, in a village and I'll never see her again. And that, and I, uh, we just prayed and we broke through and we felt the peace of the Lord and you experienced that. You were taken. Can you set up for the listeners what happened that day and then just walk us through it? Mm. Yeah. So the exact date, uh, day and date would be, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Tuesday, December 5th of uh, 2012. 
And so, or it could have been Wednesday. So either way, um, mm -hmm. we were getting done with um, a routine visit to a very rural, um, sort of the northwestern side of um, the Kabul province. And so it's a good three and a half, four hours away from the city of Kabul. And we were actually making our way back down after a day's visit uh, to the community center there. Um, uh, many people uh, who live um, for you know many generations um, in that place had, in the first time around with the Taliban governance, had made their way to Pakistan as refugees. Um, so it's not too far from the border uh, if you go by um, road. Um, and, and the moment we were sort of surrounded by, uh, well, the, the, the very first sight was this gunman popping up, up from the side of the road, up beside nice. a bush. And um, Tom, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, in the sense that there are times when you just feel overwhelmed by fear, you know, just anxiety. And, and that was the moment when I felt so fearful. In fact, um, the, the few moments that followed the initial uh, being surrounded by four gunmen uh, was just my heart racing so fast, realizing very well um, that this could be the last few moments of mm -hmm. life on earth. Mm -hmm. And I was blindfolded, so I did not know what to expect. So the only expectation I had in those initial moments um, was a shot that would take my life. Mm -hmm. um, but then since things worked out, different from my initial anticipation, I really had um, the first few hours, I would say, were great, um, very transparent conversations with God because I had no other choice, uh, but um, thinking about, you know, there are only two ways this could work out, right? Either they're gonna release us or they're gonna kill us. I mean, there could be in between scenarios where they just hold us for ransom and some of those uh, hostage situations could end up being months on it, you know, and, right. and I'm glad I didn't think about all those in-between options. Mm -hmm. So right. for me, in my mind, it was like, okay, either we're going to get killed or we're somehow going to be released. Um, even a rescue was not part of my options in the in that early stage. So those genuine, transparent conversations with God, I think that just led to the peace that surpasses understanding. Okay. There is something that God is doing. I mean, this is not a mistake from God's right. side. That's right. He's aware. Um, yep. Yeah, he's aware of exactly what's happening. And uh, he is in control of anything that could happen. He's not uh, beyond this, this situation, right? So that is really powerfully anchoring in so many ways mm -hmm. uh, to let go of your anxieties and just let God sort of govern the moment, if you will. Yeah. Mm. So I think most of us have as humans, you know, to take us outside of our Christian box or spiritual box, we have this fear, gosh, if I'm ever in a life and death situation, will I cling to the Lord Jesus yes. or will I be completely, <laughs> right. you know, give in to that fear yeah. and that anxiety? Will I stay in that spot? Of course, I love what it says in the Psalms that Jesus remembers we're just dust. So we're going to have those moments when our humanness, of course, just takes over and we, we struggle with that fear and that anxiety. And that's okay. The Lord understands that. Um, but, you know, the hope and the prayer for, I think, for all of us is, is 
followers of Jesus is that then we come out of that and we really sense, as you mentioned, that perfect, all-surpassing peace. And we're able to connect with God in a, in a very intimate way. So tell us, Dilip, how um, did you feel the Lord's presence with you? Did you mm. sense him with you? Or did you have mm. that battle between the spirit and the flesh? Or what did that look like for you? Yeah, you, you set up that question so um, so nicely and powerfully, Joanne, because I think I think in situations like that, um, as we are given choices in any situation, you know, we can we can go um, to the right or to the left, right? And and that's a beauty of having that free will, and the freedom with God. I think for a non-believer, it is hard to sense that the need for even accepting our insignificance in moments like this. So I had a very similar moment to what you just set up in terms of understanding who I am in that moment, you know, walking up and down mountains in the, in the bordering um, mountain ranges between Kabul and, and uh, Lagman provinces. And I'm thinking, you know, I have the freedom to ask the maker of the universe anything I want. You know, and my initial questions were, mm -hmm. why are you allowing this to happen? Have you fallen asleep? Have you made a mistake uh, in the pact that you and I have? Mm -hmm. And and in the freedom of asking very genuine um, questions like that, mm -hmm. I think we should also allow ourselves. And, and what I felt is uh, almost like Job uh, getting the answers from God. You know, where were you when I made the very mm -hmm. right of the earth? So knowing that I'm dust and God is God and realizing, wow, God has enabled me to play, even if it is a small role in this scenario, in this moment, in this story, which is part of his story that he's allowing me mm -hmm. to be part of, then there is something significant about God, even in my insignificance. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and allowing that to be the very premise of, of what is happening. That was so settling in my heart. I, I literally, after that moment, went into a time of just worshiping, mm -hmm. just uh, uh, to an, uh, an hour or two, wow. just singing, uh, you know, those those beautiful childhood choruses like Jesus' name above all names. Oh, yes. Yeah. yes. Understanding God's significance and even in moments like that. It was so neat for me. Mm. Mm. What a weapon in the midst of the warfare worship is. And mm -hmm. you know, you know, Dilip, one of the things for us being in the Middle East and Central Asia, we see so many that are new believers uh, coming from a Muslim background. And I think for us in the West, we mm -hmm. can become overeducated Christians where things don't seem to impact us like they did. And uh, like we know this verse, Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? But unfortunately, for many Christians, when they hear the beginning of that verse, they just kind of fill in the blanks. Oh, I know that verse. And it's, it's almost like it's a quiz for them. You know, can you remember the verse? Yeah, you remember that. And somehow it loses the impact. It's not a quiz. It's not a test question. Mm -hmm. Is it working in your life? And you experience that deeply. And all we can say to the listeners is this, Joanna and I have often talked about it, that verses like that, that we have tucked in our heart and memorized, 
become anchors in that storm. They're, they're like life preservers. Mm -hmm. We're so thankful that's tucked in our heart. And, and I'm, I know you experienced mm -hmm. that. And then you experience threats. What happened when you started to hear the threats? Because they said they would kill you. Yeah, I mean, they had to put their objectives down very early, right? And, and continue to sort of remind us that if this doesn't go the way they want, um, we will be killed. There are many things, many threats that, that were mentioned, uh, including uh, the possibility of us being taken to the most notorious prison where they want to exchange the three of us, two of my Afghan colleagues and myself, uh, with some of their guys from uh, what they call the Pulicharki prison uh, in the outskirts of Kabul city. And I've actually visited that um, mm. prison once in my early years of going in and out of Afghanistan. And it's not a pleasant place to yeah. be. Once you get in, you never get out, at least um, uh, theoretically, um, unless, of course, you have a lot of insurgency uh, networks and you have some clout. Um, and somehow in situations like this where they want to exchange prisoners, uh, things like that might happen. But so there are many, many threats. And I remember, and, and this is something um, where, you know, guy, uh, people like you were heavily involved in the beginning stages um, as we were getting through the end of the second night over mm -hmm. there in the five-day hostage situation. I somehow woke up on the third day just with this incredible feeling of warmth and, and just being mm. surrounded by God's presence. Mm -hmm. I felt a peace that I had, you know, it would be very, um, very foreign to feel that, that sort of God's peace in the midst of that chaotic situation um, as I woke up on the third morning. And I was really interested um, in kind of figuring out what, what was so specific uh, you know, unique about that moment. So when I came back after my event and I finally settled down into work and routine again, there were two uh, two inch, very thick binders of, of all kinds of communication that went on from various, um, uh, you know, factions of the American government, um, the, the military, the White House, uh, mm -hmm. State Department, you name it. Um, and, and various um, communication between networks like yourself and, um, and many others. And I think what had happened in that unique specific time is that there, there was a prayer chain that began to happen. And there was a prayer request that went out saying, we cannot give you too many details, but please do pray for three of our workers who are now being held uh, captive. And I think what I sensed is literally millions of people mm -hmm. praying for us. Wow. And, and that peace is something that you just can't explain. Wow. Because God's presence is so strong when, you know, prayer warriors just, just you know, knock on heaven's gates for you. Yeah. That's right. Wow. Okay, so Tom and I remember getting that email yeah. and to pray for you. And so we were part of that thinking, oh, my goodness. You, you, yeah, gone. our hearts were just broken when we heard that. But I love what you said. And this shows us, listeners, don't miss this, the power of prayer. You know, there's times when God may wake us up in the middle of the night, or we'll think of a person we haven't thought about yeah. in years, and we'll think, gosh, Lord, why'd you bring them to mind? Pray. 
There is power right. in prayer. There's and I, I love what um, I love what E.M. Bounds says, that old quote that we, maybe you all are familiar with, and that is that prayer is the thin vein that moves the hand of God. And so as literally thousands and thousands of people are praying for you, that is when you feel God's presence. Um, what a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Well, to back up a little bit, if you could just encapsulate in a nutshell for our listeners, um, how long were you kidnapped? And we haven't even talked yet about your incredible family. family. In your book, you talk how before you leave on this trip, you're holding your precious little son who's just, a, you have four children and little son, baby at that point. What are your thoughts about your family during this time? Mm-hmm. And, you know, when did your wife find out about this? And what are some of those details to paint a broader picture of your time as a hostage? Yeah. So as a, a husband and a father, each time you go for trips, um, very similar to what Tom said before in your case as well, uh, there are times you question, you know, what could happen? What are the possible, mm-hmm. um, you know, scenarios that could play out, right? So. I remember putting my, at that time, uh, our youngest fourth, we have five uh, now and, and our youngest is now seven. Mm-hmm. But putting that youngest fourth one was like eight eight months old, putting him to sleep and just wondering, you know, what, what does life mm-hmm. um, have in front of this uh, small child? And I struggled with that thought of, of not being around mm-hmm. um, for my children, especially yes. for this uh, infant. Um, so thoughts like that just kind of continue to go through your mind. And and as I said before, when the options are limited, uh, sometimes that could also just limit the anxiety that you could go through because sometimes we have way too many options to pick from and, and then that, that could create unnecessary anxiety because right. you have you have tension with all these various mm-hmm. options that you have to think through. Um, so I think, I, think um, I remember uh, Kind of sensing that even as a husband and father, the the beauty of simplifying um, your own calling um, uh, for God's purposes here on earth, um, and I and I think I try my best once in a while to put that into words. Uh, at many times, it's really putting into actions how you're sensing God's direction and guidance in your life. Necessarily, always being so busy using words, but words are just as powerful, right? So our words have to match uh, the calling and the purpose that God has um, put put on your life. So I think that's something that I'm very keenly aware of, um, uh, the, the type of testimony that I leave for my family mm-hmm. and certainly how people are impacted by, as observers, how people are impacted by just seeing uh, your role in God's kingdom expansion. Mm. Here on earth, and th- those are just powerful things that only the Holy Spirit can illuminate, right? Yeah. That's uh, right. We try to put our our little um, um, whatever it might be perspective on it, but that's so limited mm-hmm. in comparison mm-hmm. to the eternal value God adds to uh, certain um, yeah foundational principles, mm-hmm. uh, kingdom principles. Mm. So good. Well, you know, I was uh, before we get to the really important part of this. Um, the rescue. I'm I'm thinking about this because you're an American. Uh, it the news started to cover it, and I remember seeing your picture go across the news, and I called Joanne. I said, "Oh no, Lord, Joanne Dillip has been taken," and you know, but but God can use the news. Praise God. That 
called more people to prayer. Right. Lots of people saw that and started following the situation and, and were praying. So it, it actually was a great blessing. But the first thought, because we've been there, we know what it's like there, mm. fear just went through our heart. The first thing we thought of was your family and start praying for them. And is he going to make it? And you did make it. And there was a rescue. And Joanne, you yeah, want to <laughs> you want to tell us about that? First of all, how long had you um, been in captivity with these Taliban? And um, did you make any friends or any closeness with any of them? And then, how did this rescue take place? So those, yeah, so that's yeah, a going one back to question, huh? <laughs> sure, yeah, going back to some of those uh, conversations, you know. So early on, the first day did not have uh, many conversations, mainly because we were just walking up and down mountains for about nine and a half, 10 hours, perhaps. Mm. Um, and we only had one single break um, in mm. between that, uh, between that, that entire hike. Uh, so I joke sometimes with people saying that although I live in the beautiful mountainous state of Colorado, I feel like I've done enough hiking for my <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> but, oh my God. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> but I do enjoy hiking and being out in the on the nature. But um the second day had some incredible conversations, mainly with this one young man that uh, as you were saying even before our podcast began, some some folks do um, just look really weathered by by you know, the climate and, and just the harshness of, of um, nature all around them. And I thought that this, this guy was maybe in his 30s. You know, I was in my late 30s at that time. I was 39 to be exact. And, and um, I thought that this guy was at least 35. He was only 19 years old. Wow. And oh, I had such an amazing conversation, mainly just from him. You know, one of my keen prayers was to just have opportunities where I could just be an open book these guys, anything that they want. I didn't want to force myself, uh, anything that I am or what I do and what I believe in um, with these guys. But if they had questions, I was certainly going to answer that. And this this young man just facilitated like a three-hour conversation on the middle of the second day, which then opened up a lot of other conversations. Mm -hmm. Although the Praise third the and fourth day were full with various movements, um, uh, them trying to figure out how this was all going to um, the, the more days that pass, they knew that things would unravel the way that they could not control. And that's certainly what happened. You know, the more uh, the government was getting involved, and as you mentioned, Tom, that the news was beginning to pick up, mainly because of the fact that the, the Navy SEALs that got involved uh, then ended up in this rescue effort, which then killed this young Nicholas Czech who was the first to enter the room, you know, such mm -hmm. a brave soul that entered the room and had one in a million shots that went right through his head, mm -hmm. uh, which then then ended up taking his life um, soon mm -hmm. after. Um, and that that obviously became a very big international news that then then put this in the spotlight. So altogether, um, by the time the rescue happened, it was the fifth morning as far as days were progressing. In terms of hours, mm -hmm. it was really only three, three and a half days as the entire story starts on uh, Wednesday. Yes, I believe on a Wednesday. And then it then um, it got done on a Sunday morning. Mm. Yeah. Wow. A lot of turmoil in those five days. Oh, my life-changing things you will never, ever, ever forget. Um, souls in eternity now from yeah. that day. And yet, 
Um, God had a purpose. God had a divine plan. He allowed this to happen. And I'm sure many of those things you will not even see until you step into heaven That's one right. day. Um, but God's higher ways always prevail. He always has a purpose and a plan. And I'm sure you see some of those, um, you know, little facets of what God was about. Can you share any of that with us? Yeah. You know, when you are in a situation like that and, and you wonder about what is what is happening in the, the spiritual realm, you know, the realm that we don't always get to measure or fully uh, understand, but then we can, in faith, step into that even here on earth, right? So I remember speaking about this um, event and this episode in my life in a church in the Northwest, Lewis, Washington State. And um, uh, uh, when I was done with the, the time of sharing, someone came up to me and said, you know, the, even before you got to that scene where uh, the rescue happened, um, I had a picture of Christ presenting himself and revealing himself to the five that were with you and saying, I am the savior that this man has been representing to you mm. over the last mm. five days. And, and faith in me allows you to have eternal life. And, and it's really interesting connecting wow. that one sort of prophetic statement that this, this one lady wow. uh, made me think of um, what happened in one of my dreams uh, maybe even about six months after the event. So sometime mid-2013, I had this vivid dream of this 19-year-old that I conversed the most with yeah. mm -hmm. uh, on the second day, just completely in glorious form, just, just mm -hmm. uh, full of joy, full of peace, just exuding light and life. And I woke up from that dream thinking, did I miss something? Is he still mm -hmm. alive? He was the very last one to be shot uh, by the SEAL team um, in my rescue. And um, and so the way it all happened and, and the, the way uh, that I sometimes play out those those scenes um, uh, sometimes does give me a little bit of you know, trepidation, you know, the, the way it all ended and the way it all happened. Um, and then it, it made me realize now, as you say, Joanne, they, they've all sort of entered this eternity, and, and if Christ actually manifested himself mm -hmm. into that moment, and these are things that we would only know uh, when we're also That's on right. that side That's of right. So um, I'm just so um, amazed at how the things that we don't fully know are completely in God's control. And I can truly just sort of let go of what I don't know and say, Lord, I, I trust yes. that right. you can put together the pieces for your glory, for your kingdom's sake. So your name is lifted high. Mm -hmm. And as, as it is the case with all of us, we get to play small roles in that eternal value and eternal stories, right? And so I'm just so thankful for things like that, you know, even the things that we don't fully understand. That's right. And we, we don't understand a lot of things, but we trust his character and we can't wait to see how all that plays out. There's a lot more going on in every situation right. than we'll ever know until exactly. we get to heaven. Oh my gosh. You may be surprised to meet some of these guys there just from your time having, as you said, those conversations. May it be, Lord. So Amen. five days seem like five years. I mean, it, it did for us back here. I can only yeah. imagine for you. And your family. And your family. Oh my gosh. And your wife, your dear wife. So in how did, how did the rescue happen? This is 
Did you know what was coming? Just paint the, the picture for us. Yeah, so before the rescue, the, the other question that you had about what was happening in, on this side, um, you know, certainly so much happening from the office and so much happening even with um, media picking up the story and, and uh, conversations between the office and my wife. And she was very, in, from the very beginning, told, we just don't know much at this point. So whatever you, we are telling you, you have to keep it uh, to yourself and mm. do not share with anyone. So she... Um, ended up, you know, living out a couple of days in complete, um, you know, silence, not being wow. able to share this with anyone, which is something I don't wish on anybody. No, uh, that, oh my so God. The difficulty of all of that, even, even trying to, um, you know, maybe state something to the kids without allowing them to know that, uh, you know, uh, their father is, is in some sort of trouble. Um, so I think God just spoke to her very, very clearly in, in the promise of not even one single hair would be removed um, without his knowledge. And so she had to sign a waiver for the government uh, to go ahead uh, for my rescue because this kind of happened. This event happened about six months or a few months after the, um, the event with, um, oh, I'm trying to remember now, uh, Benghazi, mm. uh, where some oh, of the, yes. some of our, you know, higher officials were shot at and a couple of SEALs, uh, I think, were taken during that 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 mission. So um, and then then there is this tension between the civilian families and family members and the government. Right. So because of some of that, I think the FBI, who represented even the waiver, was saying, you know, you have to sign this and make sure that you don't sue the government, depending on what happens. And so there are many of those oh uh, aspects happening parallel and i don't have any awareness of any of this right sitting up on an and not knowing any of the details uh, in some ways that's that's good as well right so um not even knowing that the the mission is about to take place or even in the beginning stages of actually taking place even on the fourth day as we were i think so so for the military and the dod this has to be a long mission so they actually um, once they got the green light, they were already on a 24-hour mission before they even got to exactly Gosh, where I was. Wow. So it's Incredible. very detailed, uh, incredibly mm. strategic from their part um, with so much intelligence, um, information uh, flying by and, and them having to make all these adjustments. Um, so by the time it all happened, this was the last thing I was expecting. Mm. Um, and my two Afghan colleagues were separated from me, I would say about eight hours before my rescue. And it's only much later I found out that they were um, also in parallel rescued by the Afghan National Army, almost similar time to my rescue that was happening on the fifth morning. Wow. So the, the way the, I mean, I can tell you from uh, the investigation, um, or I would say the, the hostage uh, intelligence officer that got involved um, in in this uh, case sat down with me a month or two later and said, you know, Dilip, I've actually been involved with about 2,000 of these cases. I just simply cannot explain how so many things just fell in place for your mm -hmm. case. And I was wow. actually advocating for the military to not be involved. And here's an intelligence officer who served in the military and the police um, um, uh, you know, and, and he was saying the way that I 
expected things to work out. It's not how it worked out. And God just sort of intervened in your case. Mm-hmm. So many, so many instances where he came and literally moved things to fall in place. And so some of that, you know, just like we were talking about before, I might not completely comprehend or completely understand, but um, yeah, literally God just showed up. Mm. So do so you were how how did you see him? I mean, what what happened? Yeah, did they, tell yeah, us, did, did tell they us just come over a hill, day. or were they landing in a helicopter? I mean, yeah. Did, so I could I could hear some sort of um, uh, animals making noise. So I I knew that there was some commotion happening, and this is probably you know into uh, past midnight uh, of the fifth morning, and there was this conversation happening between. Uh, the mullah that was that was with us, the local priest, and this nineteen-year-old, uh, and um, I, I don't know what they were uh, speaking in in Pashto, and uh, the nineteen-year-old then got out, and what we, I mean, you know, now knowing what was outside, what he would have ended up seeing is literally the sea of um, both seals and rescue officers from various factions of the the. Uh, you know, the, the military. And um, later I heard that there were some paratroopers along with the SEALs and maybe there was some Green Beret um, and they highly skilled, um, you know, officers. And um, he came back in, this young man came back in and had another conversation. Um, and again, not knowing what's happening. It took me a while after the initial shot uh, which then again killed the first petty officer that that walked in, uh, Nick Check, and then uh, there was a swarm of of a few of these officers, and I it took me a while, like literally maybe 20, 30 seconds, to realize, wait a second, I actually hear uh, English being spoken, and and that that was the Your first time in five. Grab it on, yeah. Yeah, so what is going on? And then I heard my name being mentioned. There's Dilip Joseph here. And as soon as I said yes, um, uh, there's this young man named um, Nick, uh, sorry, um, Ed Byers, who has, um, uh, uh, after this um, rescue, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, 2016, ended up getting the Congressional Medal of Honor from President Obama at that time for his main role in, in this rescue and many other things that he was uh, part of. And then I was told as a result of that, there were only two Navy SEALs who have ever, ever received the award and two has been posthumous. And, and this guy might've been one of the two alive who've received this highest honor. Wow. And he came and just laid on top of me and asked me several questions, maybe just keep me engaged and um, make that initial assessment of how I was doing. And as that conversation was happening, I could hear um, uh, gunshots going all around me. And, and they were very muted, uh, these uh, high artillery mm. uh, shots that then took the lives of the five around me. And then I was, I was taken out um, and then just sandwiched between these two huge guys um, taken out to the, the courtyard and then taken back in. And they asked me to come back and just sort of stand uh, in that same room they assured me that everything was taken care of. Um, I'd already told them that I was um, second to the wall and I knew that there were like four guns or three or four guns kind of placed to the side of the side of the wall. 
and they assured me was everything was taken care of and and then as soon as i was taken out the second time this helicopter landed in that yard uh, which was big wow. enough to handle that um and then i was taken back to uh the kabul military um uh, the main base camp there and then uh, you know kind of held there for a couple of days before uh being allowed to fly back to the states oh my gosh wow the cavalry arrived <laughs> and you heard the english i wondered what your first thought was when you when that happened but you you heard the english language and you thought what right I and mean, after hearing the english language and then hearing my name i was like i can't believe this this is actually a rescue effort for me for me and right i mean i mean I, I, all my thoughts were centered around how do i now being the only one and and without my translator my 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 two colleagues uh my lifeline my friends you know uh, i am on my own now trying to somehow communicate and we were doing you know uh, uh relatively okay in terms of um a broken english or a few words or sign language uh but nothing to nothing close to being effective communication right so all my thoughts were centered around how do i uh the the best part of all of this is they kept on somehow communicating with me that when all of this is said and done we want to keep in touch with you mm -hmm. because the type of conversations we're having is so life-giving that we don't have these type of conversations here mm -hmm. in our culture and oh so those type of things were so meaningful to me you know that i that i hold on to even now the simplicity of all of that right mm. uh, in in spite of the chaotic situation mm. uh, the simplicity that god has to shine in his glory through our simple words through our simple wow. lives wow. yeah wow and beautiful. how we thank god for navy seals special oh, forces we know ex fbi all kinds of uh, men and women from the government that are involved in rescues and mm -hmm. doing things. Lay their life on the line. And so at this point, Dilip, did you even wonder? Did you know? Does anybody know I've been kidnapped? <laughs> um, does anybody know that I'm taken? Uh, did that go through your mind at all? Like, they know, here they are. Someone's, they heard. Yes, I mean, uh, I definitely did. On the second day, I was given the option of possibly calling my, my family. And I actually um, decided against it. Uh, because in my mind, it was very clear this was not going to work out mm -hmm. uh, to be positive, which which I didn't have qualms about because I did not want to give a false hope um, at that point. And so when the rescue happened, I was thinking, my goodness, um, I mean, this is obviously a very covert uh, operation uh, from the from the military standpoint. Uh, but then I had no idea how it how much it had blown up. Um, you know, back in the States. Right. Um, On the news and, and so, such. Oh, yeah. I mean, coming right. to, um, you know, uh, TV stations and their vans and their vehicles parked in front of our yard. Wow. And yeah. various things. And it took another big event for the news cycle to sort of, um, you know, take a turn mm -hmm. uh, from this story to another story. And that was very, very unfortunate. Um, kindergarten shooting in Columbine uh, that, yes. that then, then took place a few days after I believe December 12th or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so yeah, that, then you kind of figure that, my goodness, I have so much more appreciation for what our government goes through, our military mm, goes yes. through, the various factions of the state, State Department, 
the embassy, you yeah. name it, FBI, right. uh, these guys who do amazing stuff behind the scenes to make something like this happen. Right. So true. Well, I know we want to segue um, to today and what's happening in Afghanistan, but one thought I had as you were talking, <clears throat> excuse me, about all the military coming in in English, speaking your name, and all of those souls lined up there to rescue you. That just makes me stop and think what's happening in heaven when one soul is in the balance That's for right. all eternity. And one person, perhaps that young 19 year old boy has some kind of epiphany, you know, you're talking and maybe Jesus, he sees him, who knows, but what extent God goes to, to rescue every single soul for all eternity. We get a tiny glimpse with your rescue, but we have no idea what hap happens in the spiritual realm for um, the rescue of eternal souls. It's so true. And we say this in our ministry, every soul matters, you know, just the, the right. one soul matters. So God sends a, an army of angels, an army of who, whatever he does, um, to draw someone to the heart of the father so that they can know the truth of who Jesus is his savior, mm -hmm. so, which is amazing to think about, but yeah. So true. I mean, I think, I think the parallel that you are uh, portraying there is, is so worth taking a pause and just kind of realizing that it takes so many of us uh, to really surrender to this eternal mm -hmm. calling. Right. Um, and, and sometimes we get so caught up in the, the superficial reality yeah. of, of, of the work that we do, uh, either about dogmas or yeah. uh, specific practices. But the, the invitation uh, towards Christ is is mm. uh, such an amazing revelation that the Holy Spirit um, allows for people to um, have revealed, um, uh, uh, have them understand. But it takes many of us to sort of guide or or facilitate conversations, Amen. activities. So and so how incredibly um, privileged we are to be part of something yes. like that. It's not our work. It's God's work that we get That's to have. Right. True. So true. Well, let's fast yes. forward to today. In August, we saw the collapse of Afghanistan and the Taliban take over. And, and what are your thoughts about Afghanistan? You still obviously have a heart for the Afghans and um, have a passion for them and a relationship with them. What are your thoughts about what's happening in Afghanistan right now? Is there any hope? What can you tell us? Yeah, I would say there's there's so much hope. And that's that's something that I've been uh, saying and preaching and, and, and really um, loudly talking about even after my event. And one of the things that I was so uh, reminded of is, is the fact that even people that we tend to uh, quickly put into categories that they where they don't belong uh, are people who are desperately searching for hope. Um, simple conversations invite them into this, um, into the peace and, and, and glory that is God. Um, but then you, you, um, you also are reminded that, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be so complex, right? So, so, so for many people, uh, they, from a military perspective or even from a humanitarian perspective, uh, it's easy to think that uh, all of what we've done as a nation, nearly 20 years of it, um, has been a waste because of all the infrastructure mm -hmm. that's been created, the, the military investment, um, the financial investment, all of that. But I would say, uh, there is hope mainly because of what we are seeing, uh, especially in the spiritual arena, 
many people who are just sort of standing up for um, those kingdom principles. And that goes beyond the religious differences. It goes beyond the, the religious practices. It goes beyond um, how we portray ourselves. And I would say some of those kingdom virtues that are being practiced uh, in a place like Afghanistan, which I believe uh, has a has a has an incredible uh, incredible history, uh, even the Jewish history going back to the Assyrian exile happens that is mentioned in um, chronicles and and kings that happens to the you know present day Afghanistan. Uh, God has had a hand upon this nation for millennia, and and we are just sort of uh, taking notice uh, now in our lifetime, uh, the incredible work that God continues to do in the hearts and minds mm. of many in that nation. So it just takes a few to just stand up and uh, be counted. And mm -hmm. so my hope really rests on the fact that um, there are many, uh, if not thousands of tens of thousands, kind of standing up and saying, there's got to be more mm. uh, to this God that we believe, um, a God of peace, God of um, redemption, and it might take um, uh, a look outside of our uh, self-righteousness or, or our uh, physical practices of our, um, our own faith uh, to really experience him in a powerful way that they want to experience him. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so I am just so thankful for uh, some of that freedom that's happening, even if it is underground, mm -hmm. uh, that's going on in that nation. Amen. We have a good friend that was being watched while he was in Afghanistan. He just noticed one day, everywhere he went, there was a guy that kind of was staring at him. Usually that's not good news. And finally, this man approached him and said, I have to talk to you. Will you, will you please come to my home? I have to talk to you. And this, he thought this was a dangerous guy. He looked dangerous. But yet, on the other hand, he felt like the Lord gave him peace. And he went and sat down and had some tea and his wife's there and he just didn't know what this is about. And he said, you've been in my dreams. Mm -hmm. And I believe God sent you as a messenger to me. And I'm having dreams about someone in a white robe. Can you explain this? Mm -hmm. And our friend not only stayed for the afternoon, he stayed for a couple of days with this family, telling them about the Lord Jesus. And how many stories are we going to hear in mm -hmm. heaven yeah. one day, Dilla? How How many are we going to hear that that they were blinded by the world. The enemy of the world had blinded them, but the, but the mm -hmm. light of Christ broke through and somehow the message got there. And, and there was this holy war going on, just like with your rescue. And then God's cavalry arrives right. yeah, and, yeah. and fights off the evil and they come to faith in Christ and they truly know him. How many mm -hmm. he does, he does have a love for Afghanistan. Well, how can our how can our listeners pray? Could you give us a prayer request as we close? Yes, for you personally and the work that you're doing. Yeah, I would say there is now work um, happening among the Afghans around the world. They have literally over the past 20 years, if not more, um, have really, um, you know, uh, truly have experienced the, the diaspora um, for their own people. And I would say there's something incredible happening in every single place where they're at, whether that is anywhere in Europe, anywhere in Asia um, that we know of in the West. Um, I just mm -hmm. heard from a good friend of mine in Houston, Texas, uh, who says every single day he's having conversations uh, with Afghan refugees in Houston. Uh, 
Um, and I would say in Afghanistan as well, uh, many people that we continue to keep in touch with are doing some incredible things, whether it is kingdom-based uh, or even small acts of kindness uh, in terms of holding uh, educational institutions in their in their homes, um, as it happened the first time around as well, so that their uh, children don't have to pause or their neighbor's kids on the somehow in midst of what seems to be a hopeless uh, situation, uh, life can continue to happen. And I would say uh, there are so many kingdom uh, activities happening that we just don't have much awareness of. Mm -hmm. And it would be so good for uh, uh, Christ followers to really pray and, uh, you know, ask the Lord of Harvest to to pour out his spirit among mm. many people, like you said, Tom, who are desperately searching for that sort of uh, um, clarification, mm. whether it's a dream that they're having or a question that they have, uh, in spite mm. of um, uh, the, the environment that is propagating fear, um, people are kind of standing up and asking these questions. So may uh, more of that happen uh, mm. within Afghanistan and outside Afghanistan. Mm. So. God's uh, story continues in their lives. Amen. Well, your book, Kidnapped by the Taliban, uh, has an effect on people as they read it. I found myself, when I read it, I kind of transposed into Dillip. And I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm acting like, what would I say? What, what's going to happen next? And feeling like, would I be faithful like that? I pray, Lord Jesus, I would. And so, folks, you got to get it. Uh, Kidnapped by the Taliban, Dillip Joseph. It's not only a picture of what happened to him, but it's a picture of, of our salvation. Amen. He was kidnapped by the Taliban. We were kidnapped by the devil, and Jesus set us free. Amen. So we know you will enjoy it. Dilip, thank you so much for being with us today. It's just been a joy. It has been a delight. You are a humble man. You are very talented and gifted in so many ways. But the biggest thing that Tom and I see in you is your heart and your passion for Jesus and how you have a love for the least of these. Um, whether it's in Afghanistan, I know you're also working in India now. Um, God is giving you a heart just as Jesus did for, for the least of these. So we are so honored to share this time with you. Um, our prayers continue for you, for your family. Now, five children. How old are your kids now? They range between seven and 17. Seven Ooh. and 17. So, oh my gosh. Oldest is a daughter and then four sons. Oh, oh my gosh. Wow, that's beautiful. One princess and, and four little princes. That's That's amazing. right. Oh my gosh. Oh. Well, Tom, you want to close our time Yes, yes. Lord Jesus, thank you for Dillip. Thank you for this rescue. Mm -hmm. And um, thank you that his life continues. And we don't know what all that was about. Why you allowed that happen? You're the king of the universe and you could have prevented it, but you allowed it for mm -hmm. some reason. We know it's for good. So we pray that in eternity, we'll see some mm -hmm. incredible gifts of miracles that, that we get to see through this experience. So we join together and pray for Afghanistan. Mm, yes, we know there are many believers suffering there and uh, in the midst of danger. We know that you are building your work there, Lord Jesus. So much of it is underground. We just pray for encouragement and uh, strength for our brothers and sisters in Christ there. Pray that the work would continue. Mm. The Afghans are special people. Uh, they're your people that you created in your That's image. Right, and we pray the best for them. Pray for a great revival in mm -hmm. Jesus. And we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Dillip. Thank you. God bless you guys.
Thanks, Dylan. Gosh, love you guys and take care. Love you too. Thank you.